So a while back, my, uh, my boss invited me to go golfing at the country club that he's a member of. Now I love to go golfing. I, I have some clubs. They're nothing fancy. I have some golf shoes. But again, they're nothing fancy. But I don't have any golf clothes. You, know, you watch golfers on, on TV. I don't have any clothes like that. So it... You know, the, the weather, it was going to be kind of warm later on in the day. So I decided, okay, I'd wear shorts, a t-shirt, and a light jacket, and a hat. Off I go. So I show up there, and I, uh, I meet up with my boss and a couple of other guys. We tee off, and we're having a great time. I mean, we're joking around. I'm playing surprisingly well, and, uh, you know, everything's going just really, really well. After about the fourth hole... You know, clouds were starting to burn off, and so I decided that I, I'd take my jacket off. I walked up to, to tee off on that next hole, and my boss says, hey, uh, you need to put your jacket back on. I'm thinking something's wrong with my shirt. Maybe I have a stain or a rip, and I'm, I'm looking down. There's nothing wrong. So I think, okay, he, he must be kidding. I said, yeah, okay, whatever. And I hit my ball. He walks up to me close enough so only he and I can hear the conversation, and he says, no, really you need to put your jacket back on. This club has a very strict dress code that requires collared shirts, and your T-shirt doesn't have a collar. I need you to put your jacket back on, otherwise you might get kicked off the course. Okay. <laughs> so I, I put my jacket back on and uh, finished the, finish the round with, with my jacket. It's a little uncomfortable at times, but had a great time, played surprisingly well, and... Uh, it's just a, a really great time. You know, dress codes at a golf course, not really something I'm familiar with. I, I've never played at a country club before. So, you know, I, I'm familiar with dress codes at other places. You know, we've all seen the, the signs, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Uh, I know that there's dress codes at, at other businesses. Their employees have dress codes. Like, for example, you go to Target, you know that all the employees have to wear a red shirt and the tan or the khaki pants. You go into Best Buy, it's a blue shirt and the tan or khaki pants. I, I get that. It's just a dress code at a golf course just wasn't something that I was really familiar with. You know, dress codes are everywhere. Where we, where we work, where we eat, where we play, and believe it or not, even where we worship when I was interviewing to become the pastor here at Hillsview, I, I was talking with members of the council, and I said, hey, do, do we have a dress code here for worship? And they said, yes, show up and, and please wear clothes. That's, that's the dress code here. You know, back in January, we started, we started a series about the letter that Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus. And we looked at how the letter has two main parts. You know, when Paul was writing this, he, the first part was we looked at why. Why do we worship and follow Jesus? And then about halfway through the letter, we transitioned to the how. How we worship and follow Jesus. And while looking at the how, you know, Paul seemed to focus on uh, relationships, how you treat people. How, how you're supposed to interact with people with love and respect and empathy, and you're supposed to submit to others and reflect Jesus.
But as we get to the last part of the last chapter of this letter, Paul seems to transition again to a dress code. What we should wear as Christians. And we find that dress code here in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, please feel free to use the, the pew Bible there in front of you. Our passage is on page 1160-1160. And as always, if you don't have a Bible at home and you would like one, please see me after service. I will make sure that you walk out of here with a Bible. I'm not going to charge you for it. I'm not going to enroll you in a Bible study. It's just the first time that I walked into a church, somebody gave me a Bible, and it changed my life. And I'd love to be able to do the same for somebody else. So in our passage today, Paul is wrapping up his letter. And he starts starting in, in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against de the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now, we've talked in some messages in the past about how this world is getting dark. And it seems to be getting darker by the day. Christianity is under attack. Turn on the news and you see horrific things. There are people all over the world that are being persecuted and killed because they profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Authorities have taken God out of public places like schools and courthouses. According to a recent poll, the number of people who identify as Christians in this country has dropped by 12% in eight years. 12%. Let me put that in perspective for you. Let's say that everybody in the United States said that they were Christians eight years ago. And then when we asked them all again, hey, what, do you have a religious preference or, or what's your religion? If 12% of those people changed their answer, that would be equal to everyone in Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, and Washington combined. 12% of the people changed their answer. Yes, Christianity is under attack, but Christians are also under attack. Maybe you woke up this morning and you thought, man, I'd love to just stay in bed today. I'm not sure I want to go to church. Maybe the slideshow of your past is playing. As, as I'm up here talking, as we're singing songs about how great Jesus is, you can't let the slideshow of your past go, and you keep on condemning yourself. Paul is saying that when you find yourself under attack, put on the full armor of God. There is nothing that can protect you like the God who created us. There is nothing that can protect you like the God who created the universe. The God who sent his one and only son to be whipped, beaten, and killed, and then brought back to life three days later. That same God that did that looked Satan right in the eye and said, I win, you have been defeated. There is nothing that can protect you like the full armor of God. And as we look at the next part of the passage, 
Paul starts to break down what the full armor of God is. He writes, starting in verse 14, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Sounds like a pretty impressive dress code. And Paul Paul chose to begin describing this dress code by talking about a belt. I mean, he could have talked about the shining breastplate of righteousness. He could have talked about the uh, towering shield of faith or the mighty sword of the Spirit. But he chose some measly old belt. And that begs the question, why? Well, we talked about Christians and Christianity being under attack. And one of the reasons why Christianity is under attack is because we live in a world that teaches that truth is what we make it. That good and bad are all relative. That there's no absolutes, just equally valid opinions. But Paul is saying that truth is in God. And that good and bad are defined by him. There are eternal and unchangeable absolutes that are uninfluenced by people's opinion. Paul also wrote in another letter to the people of Rome, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God tells us what truth is. And Paul tells us to start our dress code by wrapping that truth around our waist. Now, the next thing that Paul lists is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was a very important part of a Roman soldier's armor. It protects the torso. And so any attack that comes towards the heart or the lungs, without a breastplate, those attacks would be fatal. But with a breastplate those same attacks just glance off. Now, the definition of righteousness is morally right or justifiable. And in that same letter we talked about that Paul wrote to the people of Rome, he wrote that we are justified by our faith. Because we are justified or righteous, we have that breastplate of, that God, sorry, we have a sturdy breastplate from God to protect us from the enemy's attacks. Now next on this list is to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Sometimes we we get in a situation where we feel worried and we just feel like we have to do something. We're not even quite sure what we're supposed to do, but we feel like we have to do something. We see horrible images on TV or online about what's going on in the Ukraine. We hear and see about terrible things that are happening in our own country, in our own state, in our own city, and in our own neighborhoods. But even as we see and experience these things, we we seem to get worried. What can I do? What can I do to help? I, I just feel like I need to do something. But in Philippians chapter 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking and he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If we remind ourselves that Jesus is in control, no matter what's going on, no matter what we see, Jesus is in control. And we actually believe that. That becomes a huge part of our armor. Now, in addition to this dress code, Paul tells us to take some tools along when we strap on the armor of God. Up until now, he's given us a a list of items to wear, but next he gives us something to hold up. He writes, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So why would Paul associate a shield with faith? A shield protects. And there are countless stories all over scripture about faith protecting people. When we look at the book of Daniel, we we read that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're asked to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't, you get thrown into this fiery furnace. And they say, we're not worshiping anybody but God. And so they are thrown into this fiery furnace. But before that, they say, we know that our God will protect us. We have faith. And even if he doesn't, we will not worship anybody but our God. Sure enough, they're thrown into the furnace. But because of their faith in God, they are allowed to walk out of that furnace without even so much as a hair singed on their head. All through the New Testament, we read that Jesus says time and time again, your faith has made you well, or your faith has healed you. Our faith in what God can do becomes a shield against anything that Satan can throw at us. Now, Paul switches back to an item to put on when he tells us about the helmet of salvation. Helmets, as you know, they're used to protect your head. Motorcycle riders wear them. Bike riders wear them. Construction workers, firefighters, soldiers, all types of people wear helmets. And it's because if you get in an accident, you can survive a broken bone. You can survive some sort of cut. But a head injury, that's pretty serious business. It's serious because your brain is the center of everything that happens. It controls your emotions, your motor skills, everything. So if we're going to protect something in battle, the most important thing that we can protect when we're under attack is our mind. One good blow to the head can affect so many things. After you lose your temper one day, you spend the next few days going over it in your mind. Man, why did I do that? Who knows what's going to happen next? When you're going through a crisis, you wonder, where's God? Does he see what's going on? Does he not see what's happening here? God, where are you? But Paul is telling us to put on the helmet of salvation to protect our minds from those thoughts and to remind us that not only is God with us, But God so loved us that he gave his one and only son for us. 
This helmet protects us from the attacks of the thoughts that we have questioning anything about God. Now, the last thing on Paul's list is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is the only item in Paul's list that can be used as an offensive capacity. Even if we have the rest of the armor perfectly set up, without the sword of the Spirit, we amount to little more than just heavily armored targets. Maybe this is why we remember the name of King Arthur's sword, which is Excalibur, and not King Arthur's boots. While the rest of the armor is absolutely important, it is the sword that allows us to attack. The sword can be used to strike back against powers that try to attack our mind, that try to attack our thoughts. The sword of the Spirit can be used to fight back when we are tempted. Jesus gave a great example of this when he was being tempted by Satan. Each time he was tempted face-to-face with Satan, he quoted Scripture. Jesus used Scripture as a weapon to defeat Satan and make him flee. Now, in the next part of our passage, Paul asks for prayers. He writes, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul is reminding the people reading this letter that he's sitting in jail writing this letter. You know, he's talking about all these things that people should do, but he's sitting in a jail cell. And even though he's stuck in jail, he's still making plans to continue to spread the gospel. And after that, Paul wraps up the letter by telling the people of Ephesus, hey, I'll keep you updated about what's going on, and then he wishes them peace and love. That's the letter. That's the entire letter that we've been through. Since January, we've been looking at the why we worship and follow Jesus. We've looked at how we are all God's chosen people, and we've all been saved by grace. We did nothing to contribute to this. It's all a a gift from God. And then we also looked at how we worship and follow Jesus. We treat each other with love and respect. We submit to others and we reflect Jesus wherever we go. When we read Paul's letter to the people of Ephesus, we can see, honestly, that letter could have been written to the people of Hillsview Church. It's more than just a letter. It's a blueprint. It's a game plan. And it's a reminder of the why and the how we worship Jesus. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for this blueprint. Thank you for this reminder of of not only why we worship you, which is so important, but then also how to do it, how to reflect you. Lord, thank you just so much for being with us. Thank you for your love and your grace and your blessings. Lord, it is truly in your name that we pray. Amen.